Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, good evening, or if you're just watching this after we've already recorded it, uh, thank you all for joining us for another episode of the What's Up webcast. My name is Kevin Lagore. I'm the product specialist for Skywatcher here in North America, and uh, this is our weekly webcast that we do, and we try to focus on all things astronomy, uh, telescopes, whatever we just kind of think is cool at the time. Um, so uh, if you've ever joined us before, uh, each week is a different topic focusing on something um, with astronomy or telescopes. Uh, of course, we have special guests. We try to do that once a month. And uh, each week we try to focus on something different uh, that you can either apply to your own hobby or what have you. Um, if you ever miss one of these, they are pre-recorded. I'm sorry, they're not pre-recorded. This is actually live. They are recorded. Um, so if you miss it or there's something you want to go back and look at, you can go back to our YouTube channel and look up all the different What's Up webcast uh, episodes. And hopefully there's something in there that is going to be useful for you in the future. Or if you're just getting started in astronomy, welcome to the hobby. And we hope you enjoy the webcasts. Um, now this week we're doing something, uh, I wouldn't say different, but it, it comes up a lot this time of year. It's summertime um, and the Milky Way is up and most people are itching to get out and view all the amazing objects that are up this time of year. And unfortunately, for the most of us, we don't have the privilege of living under a dark sky. I know I don't and most of my friends don't. Um, so we have to travel um, to these locations. But there are certain things that you kind of want to be aware of if you're going to be going to these locations. Or maybe you're new and you have no idea how to even find a location to go uh, view from a dark sky site. So this whole topic today is going to be focusing on how to choose or find a dark sky site um, some of the protocols, unwritten protocols about going there and just some things to consider um, if you're gonna go out and venture out away from civilization to these remote locations and of course see those beautiful night skies that we all aspire to see. So um, if you could hold your questions till the end, um, I'll be happy to get to all of them or as many as I can at the end. It just makes it easier to digest. Um, we're gonna go through this little presentation, talk about some stuff, um, and I'll just show you what I've learned over the years of doing astronomy and observing from dark locations and even some sites that I've found um, that seem to work well for what we're doing. So let's get started. Now, like I said before, many of us would love to view a night sky. Whoops, jumping around here. There we go. Many of us would love to be able to view from a night sky like this all the time. Uh, this is the Grand Canyon South Rim. Uh, this is actually Moonrise. Uh, I shot this Grand Canyon Star Party last year. Uh, this is Moonrise from Mather Point. Um, so if you ever go to the Grand Canyon South Rim, um, it's stunning up there. I mean, you can see over here, right here, you've got Andromeda Naked Eye. There's the double cluster. Um, I think this is M33 right over here. I'd have to really look close on some of this. And then of course we have our amazing Milky Way core um, going overhead. So we would all love to be able to view from skies like this all the time. But unfortunately that's it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So we usually have to plan trips to go to it because a lot of times our skies look like this. Uh, this is my backyard. As you can see, it's not quite as stunning as the Grand Canyon. Um, it's not too bad. I've got good horizons, it's, but it's not dark. And there's a lot of those little faint things that we all love to see or really challenge our eyes to go see. And we just can't see it because we live in light polluted locations. And unfortunately, until we get the rest of the world on to understanding light pollution and changing our ways of lighting, um, which is not gonna happen anytime soon, um, 
we just kind of have to work with what we've got. So you can do a lot of awesome things from the backyard. Don't underestimate where you live. You can do all kinds of cool stuff, but nothing ever comes close to getting out to a dark sky site. We have a lot of people that are like, oh, it's only a six inch telescope. I can only see this. Well, a small telescope, like a six inch, can see a lot of stuff from a dark sky. So just because you're viewing from your backyard, don't sell your equipment short because when you get it under the right conditions, it will be amazing what you can see with all of that. So obviously light pollution is a big thing. Now sky brightness is usually something that we can measure. And of course the night sky is affected by light pollution and how much light is just being thrown up um, into the into the into the sky um, excessive lights uh, street lights um, LED signs I know out here in Arizona where I live um, we had a, a high we have a highway that goes north uh, bound up to Flagstaff area and they wanted to put a ton of LED signs uh, big advertisement signs on the side of the highway and if you've ever seen one of these they throw out a monster amount of light so stuff like that you know all kinds of things are unfortunately destroying the nighttime sky but we have these little islands if you will of remote locations where the night sky is still preserved um, or at least away from city lights so we're going to take a closer look at that today now you can measure sky brightness and there's a couple ways that you can do that and this is understanding these measurements will allow you to actually understand some of the maps uh, to locating a dark sky location. Um, the most common one is known as a Bortle scale. Um, this was created by John E. Bortle in 2001. It's a big write-up in Sky and Telescope about it. Um, it's, he charted a lot of these different levels of light pollution. And it breaks it up into nine uh, levels and now it's kind of been uh due to the varying stages of light pollution um the nine levels is actually kind of been stretched a little bit further um but we're, we're going to keep it basic today and go with the the basic nine um and we'll break that up here in a minute um another one which you hear a lot about is uh sky quality meters or what's the sqm um this actually measures like physically measures um, the brightness of the sky um, by observing different things in the sky and gets a magnitude per square arc second and this is very helpful too you can actually measure your own your own backyard or whatever and you can actually chart all that so I'll show you an app that I have in a minute let me bring that up just so we're ready to go um, back here there we go um i'll show you an app in a little bit that you know you can get for that as well as other devices and stuff like that but let's uh first off let's start with the most basic um thing and i'm sure a lot of you have friends um that are like oh i live in a red zone or i live in a green zone or i live in a blue zone or whatever so what what the heck does that mean um so we're gonna break that apart so this is the Bortle scale is what we're going to talk about this is kind of the basic fundamentals of how we break down darkness levels uh on the night sky so uh the Bortle scale categorizes the brightness of the sky into nine levels um from one to nine and some might even argue zero to nine we'll stick with one to nine for now one being the best nine being the worst um and this is all varying on light pollution and how lit up the sky is um and you'll probably see a lot of this the light pollution maps if you ever see some of that which i'm going to show you guys here um this is all based on the Bortle scale and normally each level that one through nine on the Bortle scale on a light pollution map has been associated with some kind of color um, that way you can kind of see your location it makes it a little easier to see as a visible 
thing rather than just a number. So um, some of the newer maps have varying shades of color to kind of represent a more accurate representation of uh, how light pollution works. Um, so I'll, I'll show you that. Some of the map, most of the maps nowadays have uh, various shades of those colors. So uh, we'll break that down here in a minute. But this is what a light pollution map looks like of the United States. Um, you can see out west, we still have a lot of dark locations. And then right about where you get to the Mississippi, it kind of looks like everything just got thrown up on. Um, that's all uh, varying stages of light pollution. Um, now, how this usually works is white represents uh, a Bortle 9 location. So white is the worst um, or the brightest region. And then, of course, black represents Bortle 1 um, being the best. And then all the colors in between represent various levels of light pollution between 1 and 9. So what does that look like? Well, it's, it's really kind of hard to kind of give you a nice visual. So I try to do my best on this. So we'll, we'll go through here. So let's say we're gonna start with the best and go from there. So this is Bortle 1. Um, and this is from Stellarium. Uh, Stellarium's got this really cool feature where you can actually adjust to your Bortle scale to make it more accurate for your, your location. So, this is a Bortle 1 location, which would be uh, black on the sky charts, or the uh, light pollution maps. Uh, if you've ever been to a Bortle 1 location, this is basically excellent, absolutely perfect dark skies. Um, Milky Way will cast your shadow on the ground faintly, and my head is in the way. So hold on just a second. I did not plan this accordingly. There we go better so you guys can see it this is a Bortle one location uh milky way looks like it's etched into the nighttime sky dark regions across the uh, central galactic plane are easy to see uh zodiacal light is easy to see as well as gegenshine um we'll i'll show you some examples of that at the end of this um many of the popular messier objects like the lagoon nebula um I should know more of these. Uh, Lagoon, Trifid, um, multiple clusters in the Milky Way core, um, Andromeda. A lot of these things are naked eye visible from a Bortle 1 sky. Um, so, Bortle 1. Next up, we have Bortle 2. So as you can, let me switch back here. You're going to notice this is going to be a faint shift, but you'll notice the brightness of the Milky Way here is going to get more subdued. So now we're at Bortle 2. Bortle 2 is a standard dark sky site. This is generally a gray location um, on a map. Um, the Milky Way is still stunning at this location. Uh, lots of fine detail can be seen in the Milky Way. Uh, zodiacal light is still visible. Um, it's not a huge jump between a Bortle 1 to Bortle 2. Um, if, you're, if you're observing in a Bortle 1, Bortle 2 location, it's phenomenal. Um, so you can just ink out a little bit more on that Bortle 1. Um, there are some comments I'm seeing um, where it's not all about darkness. And we're actually going to get to that because a lot of people think that, oh, I observed at a Bortle 1 location. I've observed at Bortle 1 locations before, and I've observed at locations that are technically Bortle 3, and the Bortle 3 was better because it has to do with transparency. So just because it's dark doesn't mean it's the best location. There's a lot of it. There's three major variables um, when you're looking for locations. You want it to be dark. You want the seeing to be good, and ultimately transparency. Transparency to me is the most fundamental of a location for observing. It can be dark and if your transparency sucks, then you're not gonna be able to get these faint details that you're really looking for. But we're gonna get that in a minute. So uh, so this is Bortle 2, excellent location, not perfect, but 
it's no one's complaining at this location. This is Bortle 3. This is considered a Roar Sky. Can't talk this morning. Um, the Milky Way still shows a beautiful amount of structure. Um, most of those objects like uh, Triffids, some of the brighter Messier objects are naked eye visible. Um, the zodiacal light can be seen, but with these locations, you're gonna start seeing light domes on the horizon in certain places. So um, as you look around, it's, it's just gonna have some of that light pollution starting to infringe on this location. And on a sky chart, or I'm sorry, light pollution map, this would be blue. Um, blue is still very good, um, especially compared to where most of us live. Really anything is better than where you live. Um, the darker you can get. Uh, so that's a Bortle 3. Bortle 4. Bortle 4 is actually where I feel like you're starting to get to an, a dark location. Um, I would make an hour's drive or two for a Bortle um, 4 location. Um, Bortle 4 is green on a light pollution map. This is like a rural suburban sky. Uh, the Milky Way is visible for the most part. There are light domes visible at this location. I like these locations because they're generally somewhat close to home. Um, it's a good location for observing uh, for a night or two if you just need to make a short run. Um, and if you're doing an outreach event, these locations will impress most people because you can start to show them things they haven't seen before like the Milky Way. So for me, if you're on a light pollution map, green is where I feel it really gets worth driving to that location and spending some time out there. Um, maybe I'm spoiled because I live in Arizona, I don't know. Um, but uh, if you can get to a, a green or Bortle 4 location, you can start making some pretty cool observations uh, from those locations that are really worth the time and effort to, to go and drive to that location. All right. Uh, next one, of course, we've got Bortle um, 5. Bortle 5 is a suburban sky. Uh, it's yellow on the light pollution maps. Um, the Milky Way is visible in certain sections, but you're starting to lose um, some of its uh, reach across the sky, like the the bright core down in Sagittarius and Scorpio. Um, that would be visible in certain areas. Uh, this is generally on the outskirts of a major city. You are kind of getting into the light pollution. So what you'll probably find at most of this, these locations is that one part of the sky looks good. The other part of the sky is getting fairly light polluted. Um, these are really nice for just quick runs. Um, if you're doing some imaging, this is a good location. If you just want to get something where it's a little bit darker than your house. Um, and it's generally good for outreach locations because you can still show people some of the trademark objects and be visible, um, but you're not totally overwhelmed by light pollution. So this is a Bortle 5 or a yellow zone um, on a light pollution map. Next is Bortle 6. Uh, we're starting to lose a lot of what we really like. Uh, Bortle 6 is a, a bright suburban sky. This is orange on a light pollution map. Uh, the summer Milky Way can be visible in certain sections of the sky, mainly at zenith when it's away from the light pollution. Uh, for the most part, I find a lot of people live um, in this region. Um, and then as we move into the higher light polluted locations. So that's Bortle 6. Um, Bortle 7 is the Milky Way is gone at this point there's there's no real unless you've got a good spot where like if you've got a really dark southern portion you might be able to glimpse the Milky Way but for the most part the Milky Way is gone um, visibly at this location you're within the city limits uh, general backyard location but some of those objects that we like to look at, even through a telescope, are going to be harder to see because they're going to start getting washed out more by light pollution. So that's a Bortle 7 or a red zone on a light pollution map. Uh, Bortle 8. Bortle 8 is a dark red um, on the maps. Uh, 
uh, you're basically in the city at this point. Um, maybe not the heart of it, but you are within uh, a good portion of the city at this point. No Milky Way is visible here ever, unless you have an amazing powder outage or something like that. Um, so it's kind of an inner city location. Uh, most of your gem objects, the, the real stunning ones, can be found in the telescope. They're not as immense as they might be at darker locations. And you're starting to get really uh, reduced uh, uh, naked eye stars that you're able to use. That's Bortal 8 or Dark Red. And lastly, we have Bortal 9, which is the center of the city. Um, and there's even various ones of this. Uh, no Milky Way, fat chance of seeing it at this location. Um, you are in the core of the city at this point. Um, even some of the brightest stars in the constellations can be hard to see, depending on how bad we're talking about. Um, the planets are one of the few things that you'll be able to see. So this is Bortle 9, um, or white, on the light pollution map. Now I know earlier on uh, we talked about in a dark sky location you can see what's called the zodiacal light. Uh, the zodiacal light is, uh, you can kind of see it right here. This was taken out at the Texas Star Party, which is a dark location. Um, and the zodiacal light is really apparent um, out there. And if you're not if you've never seen this, this is a naturally occurring phenomenon. Um, it's diffuse, kind of triangular glow that's generally visible in the west after sunset or the east before dawn. Um, and it straddles the ecliptic, so like where the sun and the planets and the moon pass across. Um, this is actually sunlight that's being scattered by uh, interplanetary dust and this is how we're able to see it um, at night so it's it's really kind of cool um, if you have a chance to actually see it now the, the camera does a nice job but to see this in person it's really uh pretty neat to actually see this natural phenomenon so that's called the zodiacal light um, and then you have what's called gegenshine that's an even rarer occurrence i don't have a picture of that what gegenshine is is when the sun is on the opposite side of the earth so like middle of the night and you're in a dark enough location, the light from the sun literally warps around the earth and comes back to folk, back to a point almost at zenith. So you'll notice that your zenith is actually glowing. Um, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. Um, and then at other dark locations, um, I'm gonna try to find a picture because I don't think I put it in here. When you're at a dark site, like a really dark site, um, another natural phenomenon that occurs, occurs is called air glow. Um, and you can kind of see it with your naked eye. Um, if you have night vision, if you ever have someone who has night vision with them, um, you can see it. But um, it looks like ripples, green ripples. So you can see right here in this shot, this is also taken from Texas Star Party. Um, you'll notice that there's these this glowing green section down in here uh, that's air glow um, ionized elements up in the atmosphere from the sun that are glowing and the cameras now like SLRs and mirrorless cameras have gotten really sensitive um, to where this is easy to pick up from a dark sky site but it looks like ripples but if you ever have a chance and you're at a really dark location and someone has night vision put them on you'll be able to see it it's it's really kind of neat so those are some interesting phenomenon that happen at a dark location. So um, it's pretty neat what you can see out there. So let me get rid of this. And like I said, this is the uh, zodiacal light. All right, uh, the next way we can actually measure the nighttime sky, and this is something that you can actually do um, right now, um, it's called the sky quality meter. Now all the Bortle scales that we just went through, they have a sky quality or SQM. Um, you may see they're actually measurements of sky brightness. And this is normally a small little device, um, little box that you can pick up and you hold it up to the sky and it, I guess it takes like a picture or something like that, but it gives you a numerical reading of the brightness of the sky. And 
Uh, a lot of people are using this to document how bright or dark the sky is. And this can be really effective when you're combating light pollution um, and trying to bring this up with maybe your local governments or whatever about changing the light ordinances because now you have numerical data to go off of, measurable data. Um, so if you wanna assist in supporting a dark sky location, having an SQM meter um, can be helpful because you can actually get supporting evidence to back you up um, because they're, they're actually numerical measurements at this point. So on these, I don't have one. I've got some friends who have one, but 16, the measurement of 16 is generally the worst. 22, I think they actually go to 23, but 22 is about max that you can get for um, reality. I'm sorry, my head isn't in the way. I keep bouncing around. Hold on just a sec. Boop, there we go. Um, so those are the measurements we're looking for right there. The darker, the more towards 22 you're gonna get. Um, and these can be purchased online. Uh, if you're interested in getting one, um, I've never played with them personally, but if you're ever interested in getting one, uh, this is where you can, uh, I'm probably gonna butcher this, Unihedron. Um, they make a variety of them. So they've got the handheld ones right here and you can actually hold that up and measure it. Or if you've got an observatory and you wanna like put one in permanently, they've they've got some of these other ones um, up here as well that are kind of remote. Um, but these are some things that you could actually measure. Now, if you don't wanna spend a couple hundred bucks on that, um, there is an app called uh, Dark Sky Meter. And let me, Get rid of this and i'm gonna make myself a little bigger just to show you guys this is dark sky meter um it's an app you can get on your smartphone um you just follow the instructions you take like an auto dark you cover up the lenses take a dark and then point it up at the sky and um it'll actually measure the darkness and the cool thing about it is it'll actually save your readings and put it on a map so if you're going to different locations you can actually document different areas so that's called dark sky meter i have it on my iphone but i don't know um, if it's on android or not probably i would be surprised if it wasn't but uh, that's something that you can actually pick up for your phone if you want to kind of measure your own dark sky locations okay um next up is now that we know how dark skies work now that we know what to pay attention to we're we have to take into some considerations before we head out and drive hours and hours to locations. So these are some things I would recommend considering. Um, first off, the big, big fundamental thing is what is your goal of going out to that site? Um, like I said earlier, just because a site is dark doesn't mean anything. Yes, it's dark, that's great. Um, but there's a lot of things you should take into consideration. Um, you know, so let, we're going to go into that real quick. So we're going to break this up first. So goals. Um, so knowing what you expect from your location is going to help you pick a site. Don't just like throw a dart at the dartboard and be like, okay, that's a dark place. Let's go there. No, you need to... What are you gonna do? What is your plans? Um, especially if you're doing nightscape photography. Um, if you wanna shoot the Milky Way, you need to make sure that your southern horizon is clear. You wanna get as much of the Milky Way as possible. So that needs to be something that's a consideration. Uh, this will maximize how much of the Milky Way that you can actually see. Now you can go out and take Milky Way pictures from any dark location, but if you really wanna get the most out of it, you need to consider this a little bit more. Um, as we talked about earlier, seeing conditions, um, especially if you're doing deep sky observing, like real hardcore deep sky viewing, and you wanna get the most out of it, you need to consider the seeing conditions. Just cause it's dark doesn't mean anything. That's obviously gonna be helpful, but if it doesn't have good seeing that's gonna support your telescope, whatever. 
Now, my personal favorite is transparency. I think this is the biggest variable that you need to pay attention to. Um, like I said before, I've observed at locations that are dark and you can see things, but that doesn't mean it's the best view you can get. Now, if you have a dark location with good transparency, that means you know not as much dust particles, it's, it's very clear outside. Um, this allows you to really get those low contrast um, targets. I'm a big fan of observing dark sky nebulas. Or, I'm sorry, dark nebulas. And when you're observing objects like that, transparency above all is the most important aspect because you need it to be dark to see it. But if it's not clear like crystal clear out you're gonna lose some of that because if you have a lot of particles in the atmosphere even though it's dark it's gonna be scattering the light so generally locations that have good transparency are high altitude locations so if you can find a dark sky at high altitude basically why they put observatories on mountaintops um, that's why so my favorite location is the grand canyon south rim um i know the north rim is darker uh but i've observed at locations um out in texas and stuff that are dark but they're lower altitude so the transmit the transparency isn't as good still really nice to get out there um but grand canyon you're you're not as dark but your transparency is better so you'll find that you're able to see because you have less aerosols and dust and other particles that are scattering light in the sky. So you're actually able to really punch into the nighttime sky. And if the seeing is good, you're able to bring in the big aperture telescopes because they're going to be supported by that location as well. So if you have the ability to go somewhere, um, I would recommend looking for a location that is dark but high altitude as high as you can get in your location. So I know some places that's just not a thing. Um, but just because it's high doesn't mean it always has good transparency. There's a lot of nature, of course, is the final decider of all of that. Those are just kind of the basic fundamentals. Um, I know there's some discussion in the chat about being close to the ocean. Um, you can have a dark location. The nice thing about locations that are close to the ocean, for the most part, is that the air is very thick. So the seeing conditions are generally good. Now you have to be careful with seeing. Um, seeing conditions for certain objects like planets is not the same as seeing conditions for deep sky targets. Generally with planets, you want air that's gonna be really thick and hard to move. Um, a lot of moisture in the air can be helpful when observing planets because the atmosphere isn't moving. The wind is uh, will not move the air as much because it's dense. Um, so locations near um, the ocean can be really helpful for planetary. Uh, when I lived out in Los Angeles, um, we were able to view planets at hundreds of power. Um, you hear like locations like the Winter Star Party and the Florida Keys. It's not the darkest location, but the seeing conditions there are amazing. Um, you know, there are people that are pushing 1200 power on the planets at that location and it holds. Um, so knowing what you're gonna be observing is a big thing, but that should be a different topic, so. Okay, so um, the next thing you should consider is accessibility. Now accessibility, you know, find a site that's gonna be easy uh, to get to because you don't want it to be stressful. You're going out to do a hobby. Um, you don't want it to be a ton of work. Maybe you do, I, you know, for me, I wanna be able to get there and not have to go four wheeling and juggle all my t equipment in the back. Um, locations with amenities can be really nice. Um, there are there are some places that you can rent out um, here in Arizona, for example. Um, we have the a dark sky village down uh, kind of towards the New Mexico border, 
and you can actually rent out houses out there. It's completely dark. Um, perfect for deep sky viewing, but you can be comfortable because it's easy to get to. You've got power, you've got everything you need. Um, those are kind of more rare locations, but that's something if you can find one, it would be kind of neat, um, depending on what you want out of your trip. Uh, known observing locations are really helpful. Um, if you don't want to go through the footwork or kind of go off and find some place that you're not sure about, um, looking around for like a known observing location can be helpful. Uh, we already talked about dark sky towns and villages. Um, those are kind of neat. Large star party locations. Um, those are kind of like your Super Bowl. So you kind of work up to your year and you finally get to go to the big star party. So hopefully when the world returns to normal, um, we can all go back out to enjoying big star parties um, like Texas Star Party and Grand Canyon Star Party and Golden State. Um, and there's a bunch of them. You can actually go online and find all the different ones. National parks are huge. Um, the national parks have been working to preserve their dark skies as dark sky sanctuaries for the last several years. Many of them now are certified dark sky locations from the IDA or International Dark Sky Association. This is the place um, if you want to go, you can utilize a national park um, and represent your national parks as well. Some of them even have star parties like Grand Canyon, uh, Acadia Night Sky Festival if you're up in Maine. That one's awesome if you ever get a chance to go up there. And there's several others. Um, and then, of course, if you're part of a club, most clubs have dark sky outings. Some of them even have their own dark sky sites. Um, kind of an advantage of being a part of a group. So you can go out um, and do something like that. Uh, a big thing that, especially if you're a beginner, is safety. If you're going to be going out to dark sky sites, you always need to consider safety. Um, so things you need to think about when we're talking about safety from a site is always be aware of where you're going. A lot of these locations are very, very remote. You don't want to get yourself hurt. Um, observing and imaging in a group will help. Um, I think it's fun to be social. Maybe you're not as social, so um, that might be different. Um, always tell someone where you're going. We've seen enough of these serial killer movies where you get chopped up somewhere. Um, just tell someone where you're going. Um, a lot of these sites are fairly remote. They may lack cell service. So if no one hears from you, they at least know where you were going. Um, some of them do have locations, but just be common sense. Um, use it when you're there. And then make sure you're stocked up on your basic stuff, like a little bit of food, some snacks, water. You know, you're generally going out somewhere that's far away from civilization. That's the point. But you want to make sure that you're taken care of and you return home um, just fine. So safety is a big thing uh, to think about. Um, one other thing I like to bring up is etiquette. Um, this is kind of an unwritten uh, set of rules. I've been to enough star parties both for myself as well as for Skywatcher. Um, you see it all the time. So I figured... It's, it's good to go over that real quick. Um, it's just the etiquette. Um, once you're at a location, there's generally going to be other people there. You're not the only person there. So you need to remember that other people are there to observe the nighttime sky as well. Um, try to always use a red flashlight. Aim it down. Don't flash it all over the field. I understand it happens. I do outreach. I work with people all the time. Um, if you're new, you know, it happens. You know, don't get your head cut off or your panties in a wad. If you're at a star party and someone accidentally does it, it's okay. Um, at least by my rules, I'm sure there are people that would argue that. Um, but use a red light. It helps you navigate so you won't trip over anything and it won't ruin your night vision. So when you get back to that big 30 inch daub, which is actually what's down there at the bottom right corner, um, it, it'll it help you maintain your dark sky uh, eyes. 
Um, so always use a red light. Just have one in the truck. I, I always have one in there. It's good to have, even if like you break down at night or have to work on something, just have one in the car. Um, be considerate of other observers and imagers. There's, like I said, there's a lot of people that go out to these. Some of your locations might be small, but if you go to like these big star parties where there's hundreds of people, be considerate of other people. Um, just know that they're there. Um, always ask um, before touching or using anybody else's equipment. Don't just stroll up and assume it's your own. Um, you know, I find that a lot of people, astronomy is very cool. Um, a lot of people would love to share their telescope with you, um, especially if it's a big dob. The big dob guys like myself want to show you stuff. So, um, but everybody I find in the hobby is generally very open. They love to talk about their hobby most of the time because their family doesn't want to hear it anymore. Um, but they want to talk about it they're excited they want to be there and it's a community and that's what all the star party is about um but always ask before touching anybody else's equipment don't be that guy um big big thing um i do customer support that's my job here always check your equipment before going out never ever run your equipment the first time at a star party um become aware and familiar with your equipment before you go out to a location always check your stuff um i've met a lot of people who spent a good amount of money they go to an event they don't know what they're doing with it or you need a driver for your camera or a bolt or something and your whole trip is screwed up now because it doesn't work so always check your stuff before going out be understand how your gear works before going out so uh, big thing there uh jeff just because i saw your um comment there in the chat uh campfires are a problem um it really depends on the group actually uh, campfires do two things. Obviously, they're not red light, so they're going to add light to it. Um, and they add smoke into the air, which will ruin the view. Um, the heat from the fire can also affect the telescope's uh, capabilities. So if you're at a big star party, no way. Um, if you're at a campsite, like and there's other people camping that aren't doing astronomy, then yeah, whatever. Um, but really just go off of your group um don't just assume and light up a fire in the middle of a star party because you will probably never come back um but just be aware you kind of have to take this group by group uh, and then most of all have fun we're here in this hobby to enjoy it you don't have to take it so seriously just have fun if it doesn't work go back out the next time if it, a shot got ruined because of something happening at a star party, it's digital. Don't worry about it. Um, but have fun with it. And um, yeah. Now, so that's pretty much for etiquette. Uh, so let's talk about finding sites really quick. And then we'll jump into some Q&As. Um, this is what I use for finding uh, locations. Um, so darksitefinder. Uh, com that looks a lot like this uh, let me zoom out before i shove it onto the screen so this is dark site finder um it's basically an interactive almost google map overlay of um wherever you are but you can actually look for locations um all across the country um anywhere you want and you can find out what's going to work for you so uh, there's that real quick. This is called darksitefinder.com. And I'll bring this up in a minute. So um, darksky.org. This is the International Dark Sky Association. They've got some good information up there. Um, Clear Dark Sky. It's a weather website, but it actually goes off of locations. I actually use Clear Dark Sky if you're looking for a location that's already established, like a campground or something like that that might already be documented. Um, this is a cool one to go look because maybe you can find a site um, close to you. 
Um, of course, you can always check with your local clubs um, and their sites. Um, if it's private land, uh, you need to have permission to go on there. Don't just walk out there. Um, here in Arizona, I'm not sure about everywhere else, but we have a lot of state land. State land is just kind of fair game. You can do whatever. Um, pick up your trash. If you're going to state land, take it out with you. Don't just leave it there. Um, of course, listed star parties, always a good place to go. Um, national parks. But yeah, this is what I generally use. So um, let me just show you guys one particular spot. Um, when I was living in California, there's a lot of uh, popular locations I've seen in the chat um, in California. Uh, you have Chuchipate, um, which is a nice location. Um, you have Lockwood Valley, um, which is a good location. I wanted something darker than both of those. Um, I wanted it within two hours of my location. So what I did was I went to uh, Clear Sky, Clear Dark Sky, um, and you can break this up by state. That's helpful if I stayed on the website. Uh, let's see. You can break this up by state. Um, we'll go back to California real quick. The, all these little dots right here, these are all marked uh, locations that have their own little uh, clear sky chart. And I started to look around here and you can see all these have little pins on them with different colors and the different colors represent the Bortle levels that we talked about. Um, so if you're in LA, the most popular locations for LA, of course, right here are Lockwood Valley, um, Boy Scout Camp, uh, Mount Pinos, of course, is well known, and you have Chuchipate Ranger Station. Um, so that's all in this region. Uh, I wanted something darker than the green and the blue. Uh, so I started to look out further. And out here in the desert, we were able to find some locations. And I was starting to look through these little, these little black and gray locations to see what we could find um, out there. So I, and this, I didn't discover this. Um, these aren't any new sites. These are just sites that I hadn't heard of. So. Uh, I like looking for campgrounds. Uh, so I found Walker Pass uh, Campground. It was about two hours away. It's very dark out there. Um, seeing was okay. Transparency wasn't bad when the wind wasn't up. So what you can do is you can just get this, uh, go to this website, Clear Dark Sky, and you can just look at all the different pins and just find you know what's available out there. Um, now obviously, some of these are observatories, some of these are private property, so you can't just like drive there. Um, but I like looking for campsites. Uh, the only fundamental issue with a campsite is that other people who aren't doing astronomy are probably going to be using them too. Maybe that's a good time for you to share the hobby with people. So, so these are the main websites that I like to use, so go check those out. Um, and then the ultimate thing is if you and a bunch of friends or yourself maybe you want to purchase your own land your own dark sky location and then you can go whenever you want i have several friends of mine that have their own property now and they just go out to their location whenever they feel like it um so that's kind of a cool thing and um, i know some groups where everybody pitches in and they all pay for the land and then they work some deal out between the the group of them and they build observatories on the property Whatever, you could do all kinds of things that you want. So um, just some different ideas. But ultimately, that's pretty much my take on choosing a dark sky site. I hope that was uh, educational and informative for all of you. Um, hopefully you guys have some ideas there. Um, if I missed anything or I didn't cover anything, um, you can always email us at support at skywatcherusa.com. Um, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer those for you now um, before we close everything up. And um, if any of you are interested, I am actually doing a, a virtual star party this evening at 9 p.m. Pacific um, through my outreach program, Focus. Um, we're going to be checking out a lot of the different um, uh, objects up in the summertime right now. So uh, that starts at 9 p.m. Pacific tonight. That's free, it's on YouTube. Um, 
I'll put that up right here real quick just so you guys can grab that. Um, but yeah, if you guys have any questions, um, just throw them over there in the chat. I'll be happy to answer them. Um, next week, we're going over Dobsonians. Um, and then the following week after that, we are doing um, charts and books and other um, literature materials that you can use for observing or advancing your observing uh, capabilities or imaging um, targets. So you can actually find stuff off the beaten path. Um, so we're gonna be taking a look at that. Um, and then at the end of the month is our guest speaker. We haven't pinned that one down yet. Um, hopefully by next week, I'll have some uh, more information on, on that once we have all that figured out. Um, but uh, if you guys don't have any questions um, or you don't have one right now, again, you can email us at support at skywatcherusa.com. Just title the email, what's up webcast, so we know that's what you're talking about. Um, if you like the channel and you want to see other videos, um, you can always subscribe to the channel. Um, we are working on a lot of different videos for supporting our products. That's going to be coming up here soon. Um, and then, of course, we have our weekly What's Up webcast. So uh, if no one has any questions, I, I thank you all for being here today. Much appreciated. Um, we're pretty much back to a, a regular weekly schedule now that we got through uh, the holiday and my personal stuff. So, uh, thanks for everyone sticking in and of course have a safe weekend and we will see you guys next Friday for our next what's up webcast. So, uh, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Um, go observe the comet. If you haven't had a chance, um, it might be too late if you haven't seen it, but that's comet, um, C 2020 F three, neo wise um, it's been up in the morning i think today was the last major day in the morning it's going to transition into the evening starting on the 15th or 16th of july um, and hopefully become an evening comet by later this week early following week so um but yeah get a chance to go look at it it's awesome um i tell you more about it but i've been up since 3 a.m watching it so um Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend, and we will see you next Friday. Take care. Clear skies.